And here we are with the World Coffee Championships podcast. Today we are talking about two competitions in one, but first we are going to start with roasting. And I'm joined by a new co-host. Who are you? Hey, hello. My name is Anna Oleksak. Super happy and excited to be part of this. So Anna, you're here co-hosting the roasters segment of the podcast, but what's your connection to roasting? 2010, I co-opened a specialty coffee micro-roastery in Warsaw, Poland, and was running the business for five years. Mainly, I was involved in green coffee buying, quality control, and of course, marketing. And last year, I was happy to join the World Roasting Championship, and I was responsible for the judges' operations there. Fantastic. And where are you recording from? Uh, Warsaw, Poland is hot, absolutely hot here. And I don't need the coffee now, I just need the beers. <laughs> and Anna, before we dive into the episode, I want to quickly say thanks to our sponsors. Yeah, let's do it. So, the World Coffee Championship podcast series is supported by Victoria Arduino. Victoria Arduino advances coffee knowledge and innovates across design, technology and performance to produce machines that nurture coffee professionals' passion for espresso excellence. You can learn more at victoriaarduino.com or give them a follow at victoriaarduino1905. And today's episode on the Jesuit Ibrick Championships and the World Coffee Roasting Championships is supported by Luimidis Papagalus. For over a century, Luimidis Papagalus has been evolving Ibrick coffee tradition in Greece. If you want to learn more, visit nestlenoyazomai.gr slash Lumidis. Yeah, of course, I know that sound very well. <laughs> okay, Anna, here's a question for you. How would you roast an Ethiopian yoga chef? Depends on the purpose. If it's for filter, probably something like uh, 11 minute uh, roast with uh, first crack at 10 minutes. Why do you ask me about that? I played a game the other day with a few friends of mine across the coffee roasting space. Okay, here is a fresh cropped, washed yoga chef, and I want to roast it for espresso. What would you want to bring out? And what would that roast curve look like in terms of first crack and the development ratio? And I gave a bunch of technical information around like the moisture, 11%, you know, water activity density, screen sizes. And I got back some responses. Shall we take a listen? <laughs> yeah, sure. So technically, it is possible to enhance either acidity or sweetness. I will look for a 55 factor tones, like a medium roast. I would highlight floral aromatic, like bergamot. Probably moving away from the harsh citric acidity. I always look for the sweetness. And the decision-making points are usually the charge, the turnaround, the yellow point, and the development phase. We'll start in, in 160 Celsius degrees. Charge at 200. 175 degrees. 205 and 212 centigrade. And the first track in 12 minutes. Like at 9 minutes. Like at 8.45. A development radio of 80 to 19 percent. 12.5 or 12.8. Between 18 and 20 percent. 12, 15 percent development after crack. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you see, it's so subjective. 
I never met two roasters saying exactly the same approach, uh, how to roast any specific coffee. Mm -hmm. And so I was wondering, how do you build a competition with so much subjectivity? <laughs> no, it's not simple at all. I think it's the most uh, exhausting competition for co both organizers, uh, judges, but also uh, for the competitors. So Anna, I'd love to know what the coffee roasting landscape looked like back around the time the competition was introduced. When did you start roasting? It was year 2010, and at that time, it was really so difficult to find uh, information about roasting, to find someone that will teach you how to roast. But why weren't people communicating? I think it was still this approach of kind of secrecy, like not sharing your profiles, not sharing your knowledge. Like still a lot of roasters would tend to say like it's an art, it's a magic. Mm -hmm. Think about roaster, how it is different than being a barista. A barista is like on his or her daily basis, uh, they are communicating with other people. They are sharing what they know uh, about coffee. This is their job as well. But when you're a roaster, you're just closed with your roaster. And this is what you do from the very morning till the end. You just roast your coffee and you try to be so focused mm -hmm. as you can to provide a very consistent roasting. So you don't do not, uh, let's say, uh, really... I chat with other people or get in contact. Interesting. So I spoke with Trish Rothgeb, who was one of the people who put a lot of effort into creating the first roasting competition. <laughs> yeah, she did. And she told me about what she wanted to do with this competition to break down this problem of roasters not communicating with each other. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking forward. <laughs> My name is Trish Rothgeb. And I am a co-owner, co-founder at Wrecking Ball Coffee in San Francisco, California. I learned how to roast in 1990. And uh, the guy that taught me how to roast was like, I'd rather golf in the morning. So like, here's how you turn it on. And I need it to look like this when you're done. Make it brown. And here's your stopwatch. So um, <laughs> I had to decide what I liked in the cup. I had to decide how I liked coffee for myself in Brazil on a buying trip years ago. I had made friends with a guy named Philip Ockerblom, who's from Sweden. He was kind of like a counterpart to me in the roasting space in Europe, where he was really involved in giving classes and teaching for the specialty community. And we spoke a lot about training for roasters and about how we wished it could be in the future. For the longest time in roasting, especially specialty coffee roasting, there's a big sort of veil of uh, secrecy in a way. Not really secrecy, but just like need to know information. If you're not a roaster, it doesn't get disseminated to anyone really in a very efficient way. Philip kept bugging me about this idea. One of the ways to learn is to develop a competition where competitors were actually stretch themselves and stretch the industry and move the needle in that way by competing against each other. One thing that we wanted to do, or at least I really wanted to do, was have this idea that anybody could just, once they've registered, all they needed to do was show up with themselves and their brain. So you didn't have to bring any apparatus, equipment, cups, saucers, speech. It was purely what you could do. How large are your beans? Are they a screen size 15 or a screen size 20? 
So how does the roaster apply heat to that bean? It's very different, and you should know that. Is it a heavy bean for its size or very lightweight? Is this a natural processed coffee or a wash coffee, a hard bean? And then you had a sample roast of that coffee, so you know what the potential was. Now, sample roast is not supposed to be the best roast that coffee is ever going to experience, but a roaster should be able to sample roast their coffee and figure out how they're going to push the things they want to push. So you would show up and there were three kinds of coffee. You did your analysis of the three that were offered and deciding which coffee you were going to use. You also had to write a plan for that roast. In other words, I know this coffee is an Ethiopian uh, Yergeshef. It's a bright coffee, it's washed. I want to accentuate the florals and the lemon in this coffee, but I also want to balance it with a nice honey sweetness. So I'm going to roast this coffee to this level, and at the end, the cup will taste like this. We had the first dry run in Vienna 2012. From my perspective, it, I think it went really great. I think that the thing we were wondering about was, were we going to get spectators? People were very interested. And we sort of started taking Q&A from the audience, like, well, what do you mean by moisture density? And then Philip and I could tell them what that was. And so it was an education for the audience as well, as the roasters were just sort of like got stuck in. And in my mind, it reminded me of the Bocuse d'Or that happens in culinary world where these teams just work and the audience just watches them work. And it seems like something that wouldn't be a spectator sport, but it turned out to be. And then on the production roaster day, we had three roasters hooked up with big screens that showed the curves happening in real time. And that was so interesting for spectators to watch. So somewhere between 20 and 50 at a time would be watching. And then the judges, I three judges that would cup using a cupping form. And uh, we know if you're taking a beautiful, high-grown, nuanced and balanced and amazing Colombian and you burn it to a crisp that you should not get points for that. That's not the best expression of that coffee. So it's not a matter of just hitting the notes you said you were going to hit. I think for the a lot of the time I've been in coffee, I've been volunteering because I believe that coffee is in a very interesting stage where we're finding out so much about coffee but essentially we're learning from each other. And I've learned a lot myself because when you get involved in these kind of things, you may come in thinking you're an expert, but if you stay in that space of I'm the one that knows everything and I'm the expert, you will miss out because people are teaching you stuff. If you can listen, you're someone who's gonna learn so much from everybody around you. Yeah. Actually, Philip Ackerblum was uh, one of the first teachers to our roaster. And when he checked the roasts we were uh, proposing to our customers at that time, he said, like, you are going to a very bad direction. Oh, right. So, what are you doing? <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, at that time we wanted that our coffees uh, will taste really bright and acidic and we wanted to express the, the fruitiness, of course. But when you miss the sweet spot, when you're not developing your coffee enough, then the coffee really didn't taste uh, great. Mm-hmm. And how have you seen the popularity of this competition change since 2013 when it first launched? Like there were like 11, 10, 9 competitors until the year 2017 when it almost doubled. Whoa. Last year we had 23 competitors. The amount doubled since uh, 2016. Why? I think uh, it's because um, you know, more and more uh, specialty coffee micro roasteries are opening. Baristas, this is their dream to become a roaster. Mm-hmm. So let's compare the numbers. At the barista competitions, you might have, I don't know, on and off up to 60, 70 countries that compete. Correct. But roasters, what, you'd be lucky to push 24? Yeah. Why? It is a very difficult competition to be organized. Uh, basically, you are setting up a whole facility with roasters, with sampling roasters, with a lab, with warehouse, and all those safety procedures. So uh, I think this is very logistically challenging competition. Mm-hmm. What does it cost to put on? I'm going to put a number out there. Uh -huh. I'm going to say $10,000. $10,000, I think it could be sometimes not uh, enough. It depends on the country and your relationship with the sponsors or the equipment suppliers. Also think about you need to send your champion to the world championship. And sometimes it's, uh, for instance, I don't know, you have a competition in, let's say, in Mexico, and then you have to send your winner to China. $10,000 might be not even enough. Wow. Well, you mentioned Mexico, and I can give you some very specific information about Mexico, because I spoke with the organizer of Mexico's roasting competition, Silvia Gutierrez, and she told me what it takes to put it on. Great. My name is Silvia Gutierrez. I work for Asociación Mexicana de Cafés y Cafeterías de Especialidad. So we are the national body or competition body now uh, for the World Coffee events. What's really interesting about her story, she showed what value the roasting competition brings to coffee producing countries specifically. We started the roasting competition in Mexico around six years ago. The competition helped to the roaster scene in Mexico to learn more about the potential that our beans, the Mexican beans, uh, can provide to the market. Uh, before and now, still now, the consumers are used to drink burnt coffee or baked coffee, not good quality coffee, aged coffee. And with the roasting competition, this is beginning to change. And there is a lot of learning about new techniques, about the software that is needed for roasting, but also they understand the importance of the work before roasting, like moisture, measuring how the density impacts in the roasting process. In the Mexican Roasting Championship, the last year we had 30 people that applied for a spot, but we only can have spots for 12 maximum. I know that there are other countries that have like 50 or 60 competitors. We cannot. We cannot do that. It's challenging because you have to set up a whole roastery with a coffee lab, with a small warehouse, with the, all the security items, you know, like gas or electricity. So you have to build 
in two days our whole facility. <laughs> Once I helped one country to organize their first competition, and no matter how much planning you have before, there is always happening something. So our challenge there was there were three large roasters and three small roasters, sample roasters. The schedule was for all the six roasters to work simultaneously, but it didn't work at all. There was a lot of smoke there because the extraction of the smoke was not efficient. So when you turn one, the other three had to stop. So how can you stop a roasting process? It was not possible. So we needed to change the schedule and to work extra hours. But it worked because the competitors understood and also the sponsor and also the organizers. We all worked together to adapt for the first competition. When you are in a poor country or in a developing country, you have to eat instead of learn. Growers are not that wealthy. You know, it's been like almost 50 years or more that we've been in crisis, like coffee prices. So I think with the roasting and also with better prices, growers can have better opportunities to jump up to the value stream. So that's why I think roasting is like the way to communicate and to share knowledge to other side of the coffee chain that are not as wealthy as a roaster. The first time Mexico went to the worst roasting championship, we went the last position with a lot of learning. I'm very happy for participating. And last year was amazing because Eduardo Juarez reached the fifth place, which was very emotional moment for us and very important because you feel the rewards of all the work of the community. I would love to say that every country should have its own roasting competition. No matter how developed they are, it helps a lot to understand the specialty coffee, especially the producing countries should have a roasting competition. It will help a lot to improve the coffee consumption and also the specialty coffee market. And also more women. We need to see more women competing. We have the same skills as the men. Yeah, I, <laughs> I totally understand how she felt uh, during organizing uh, uh, championships. Yeah. So how do you see the competition changing in the future? Hmm. More challenges will come, the more competitors will come. So on one hand, we really want more competitors and more countries. But on the other hand, it's a really complicated and long championship because you don't compete for 15 minutes. You compete for at least three hours. Over many days too, right? Absolutely. I will share with you maybe a, something controversial because when you judge other competitions, like for instance, barista or brewers, this is for you also an opportunity to shine on stage when you are a judge because you go on stage, you greet the barista, you order, you are served with beautiful coffees, you enjoy the performance. While here, it's like you're... <laughs> 
no one greets you <laughs> you just do your job like in the imagine your busiest day in the roastery and then you cup the coffees one by one and it's really exhausting and there is a lot of tension a lot of stress you need to be really fast accurate and uh, it happens that coffees are not tasting that great because maybe some of them have some roasting defects so it's not really this amazing experience that you have when you're judging other competitions when you are served as a customer here is you are more like a ordinary worker in the factory of course it's a huge opportunity to learn if you really want to learn about roasting about what you can do with different profiles with the same coffee that's a place for you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, once sonia bjork grant she said when i started to judge she told me listen when you compete you have a team of judges like let's say when it's barista like seven judges that are judging you but when you're judging the whole community is judging you so this is and i really i still remember this this quotation because this is how this is exactly how it is this is when you really learn fast so i strongly encourage everybody to try himself or herself judging this competition yeah right right what do volunteers get out of it yeah Yeah, the volunteers are really, we need a lot of them. So if you hear me now, please enroll for roasting competition. It's really a place to learn. I would say it's really like being a volunteer. You can test if you really like to work in a roastery. This would be a perfect test for you. Because if you can survive those four days or sometimes even more, (laughs) then then yes, go for it. Amazing. And I'm going to argue that Volunteering for roasting competition can bring you more things than a bit of roastery experience. Okay, <laughs> tell me. I have a story for you. Yeah, hello. Hey. <laughs> so I spoke with a woman from China who volunteered at the World Coffee Roasting Championship. Uh, my name is Jili. Let's pronounce like Chinese Jing Yi. I'm a barista in Yunnan. I also spoke to a man from Taiwan who also volunteered at the same competition. Uh, you can call me Mickey. Mickey Mouse Mickey. Yeah. And I'm from Taiwan. I roast by myself. In Taiwan, many shops roast and serve the coffee in the same shop. And in 2017, both of them decided to go to Guangzhou, China to volunteer. The, the teacher who teach me uh, roasting coffee, he say, uh, there is a competition and... Uh, do you want to come? It's just at Guangzhou nearby Taiwan. And I think, oh, very good. I should go there. And then you can see the old star in the same place. I rose by myself. So I, I also want to see how these champions, how they make their coffee. Jilly was on one side. She was helping deliver the green beans to the right competitor. And Mickey was on the other side. He had a stopwatch timing the competitors. When I uh, first saw her, I think... Wow, the, uh, because she's very um, concentrated. So I'm being attractive, so I go to talk to her first. You uh-huh. want some coffee? <laughs> <laughs> mm, but after the competition, we exchange our WeChat. She's not interesting on me. No. <laughs> she's not crush on me. Like a friend. Relationships won't won't go that so easily. Sometimes she just don't 
answer my question. Yeah, <laughs> I feel little sad. Uh, next year, 2018, there's a green bean competition of Yunnan. I fly to there, and、uh, she also work in Yunnan too, right? As a friend, I have to welcome <laughs> him. Yeah, so I plan some schedule in Kunming. My my workshop second floor have balcony. In the balcony, I'm watching the view, but my my view is only focused <laughs> on hers. And my college said he must be love you. After that, we used the video chat, and we began to, you know, face to face. Then the the romance begin. But that's a problem. I mean, you're in Taiwan and you're in China. I've tried long distance. It's really not easy. We have WeChat video every day. After we finished our work, when I in the bed, we can take two hours video. Every day, he very gentle and very humor. We are in a long distance, right? And one days we decide to have my, our first date, but not in Taiwan, but not in China.、Mm-hmm. We our first day is in Japan, Osaka. Osaka. We all love travel, you know, travel, travel around、mm-hmm. and drink every、uh, the the coffees in there, you know. Yeah. When we come into a coffee shop, we will order one Americano or drink drip coffee and one latte.、Uh, the last day in Japan, we we talk about、uh, how, how how we do in the future. You know the、mm-hmm. the next step. So so we talk about the the marriage. Then she say, "Okay, well, let's go. Let's、married. do it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> let's get married." Yeah, we 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 work together. I I I'm the roaster. He he do the most、I'm、barista. S- no, I'm sellers. Sellers, <laughs> seller. Yeah, I'm. She be more like the salesman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think、uh, this is happening a lot of,、uh, to <laughs> coffee people. They fall in love all the time. I remember once there was a New Year's Eve party, like it was only for a coffee business mat, and there was only one guy who brought his new girlfriend, and she was completely outside the industry. But we promised we're not gonna talk about coffee. It's a New Year's Eve party, of course. It's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna、last? be fine.、Uh, it's gonna be fun. But after、uh, half an hour, everybody started to talk about coffee and even brew some <laughs> coffee, and f- eventually she went away. So this romance failed. Coffee killed the romance. But I see a lot of、uh, really great、uh, couples around, and there is only one、uh, rule you can't break when you are judging.、Uh, you can't be in a romantic relationship with a person that you are judging with a competitor.、Uh-huh. It's even written in code of conduct and called the、uh, conflict of interests.、Uh-huh. But all other are、uh, okay, and and they are happening. <laughs> so Anna, thank you so much for helping me co-host a story. About the roasting championships. Thank you so much for having me for this podcast. But Anna, before we leave, I have one question for you. So I'm going to play you a sound of coffee brewing. The question is, what type of coffee brewing method is it? 
Oh, 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 I know this sound uh, is Ibrik, uh, no? Indeed it is. Now, how would you roast a coffee for Jesve Ibrik? Ah, no. <laughs> this uh, is... The, the Jesve Ibrik is really um, a mis- still a mystery for me. So I think it would be next step for me to learn how to assess it and what kind of coffees will work well and roast profiles. Well, Anna, the good news is we're now going to talk about Jesve Ibrik with a new co-host. Thank you, James. It was really a pleasure. And uh, see you next year at the competitions. I'll see you there. Bye. And now I'm going to introduce a new co-host. Hello, James. My name is Sarah. I'm from Saudi Arabia. So I'm the first Saudi to represent uh, my country in the Jazve Ibrik Championship and the world stage. Interesting. So this is a quarantine recording setup. So where are you right now? I'm at home in the storage room. Oh, really? I have all the boxes I use for coffee with the tools and cups and everything around me. <laughs> That's really I have a big sheet of paper on the door that says I'm in a live session. So everyone is on alert. (laughs) Oh, that's so cool. So Sarah, I'd love to start with a really simple question. Why do you love Jesuit Ibrit coffee? Because I have emotional (laughs) connection to it. Oh yeah? What's that story? My mother is originally from Syria. And in Syria, usually what happens that the family uh, will sit around an indoor fountain inside the house and then they would enjoy this type of coffee together and usually it's females who are drinking this type of coffee it would be like when the father is away at work the mother and her daughter or her neighbor would sit around the fountain and start drinking this type of coffee so my mother always like she wanted me to enjoy it with her and I try, but I can't, you know, I never understood why. And then it's not until I started reading about the Just Vibrique method and uh, I competed that I said, oh my God, like we can do this coffee and enjoy it together in a better way. And I started making her coffee with the speciality beans. And then at first she was like, no, this is not my coffee. And then little by little, she started enjoying it. And she she will have it without sugar, without adding any cardamom, because she used to have cardamom in it. And this is how people knew me in Saudi Arabia. It's funny because I started with espresso and I enjoy V60, but people knew that Sarah is the champion of Saudi Arabia for the Jazve Ibrik. So it's very close to my heart because it's where people knew Sarah and how I knew myself and started to get closer to my family as well. Wow, that's a really beautiful story. Now, Sarah, I know that Jesuit Ibrit coffee is drank by hundreds of millions of people. So where can you find it being drank every day? You can find it uh, in a lot of places in the Middle East, like Lebanon, Syria and North Africa, such as uh, Egypt and also in uh, many parts in Eastern Europe. Now, the competition is called Jezve Ibrik. What is Jezve? What is Ibrik? You have many names for the same pot. In Greece, they would call it Ibrik. In um, Turkey, they would call it Jezve. In Syria, Dole. In parts of Saudi Arabia, they call it Jezwa. In Egypt, they call it Kanaka. Huh. Now, Sarah, you mentioned you can find Jezve Ibrik in Eastern Europe. Oh, wow. 
And I spoke with a Jesuit Ibrick world champion. Sara, for you, you said you love Jesuit Ibrick because it connected you more closely with your mother. But for Sergei, the flavors of one particular Jesuit Ibrick coffee changed his life. So my name is Sergey Blininkov. I've been working with the coffee for more than uh, six years now. Tell me about that first time you had a Jesve coffee. What did you experience? I went to one of the Jesve coffee coffee shops uh, in Moscow and tried just classic Jesve without any additive. And it was mind-blowing. It was classic, very sweet Costa Rican coffee with apple notes, really sweet, like red apple, a lot of caramel flavors. And actually most of the flavor was this sweet brown sugar, calamar. It was very sweet. One of the most sweet cup of coffee I've ever tried. And it was the moment I realized that I need to learn more about this. I want to be part of this, to be able to create this flavor myself. So Sarah, Sergei's on this journey trying to discover flavors. He works at that cafe where he first tried that coffee, and then he participates and wins the Russian Jezve Ibrik Championship. And he told me about his signature beverage and the flavor combinations he discovered. So I found this uh, wonderful lot from 90 plus uh, called Percy, experimental natural lot. And uh, one day we have a little conversation with coffee trader here from Russia. She asked me, have I ever considered using silver skin from coffee? This part that most uh, usually ends up uh, in the trash actually. I tried to brew it and I was simply amazed how sweet it is and can remind some honey, some very good puer tea. 10 milliliters of cascara syrup, 50 milliliters of silver skin essence. So I've decided to rebuild uh, the coffee cherry in the signature beverages for the judges using uh, silver skin, cascara. And uh, one of my great friends, they brought the unique Liberica coffee flowers. Not Arabica, but Liberica. And they are very different from Arabica kind uh, because they have much stronger aroma and uh, just amazing mouthfeel. It was just like a glass of Sauvignon Blanc. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So those flavors, have you ever tasted a coffee like Sergei is describing? Of course. I believe that in uh, Jezve Ebri coffee, you get the more deeper notes of whatever is in that coffee. I get more like the dried fruits and even uh, like you can get the hazelnut and nuts accentuated in the beverage and also I get the sweetness and this is very surprising to many people who tried Jezve Ibrik. In Saudi Arabia we usually add cardamom and we add a lot of sugar to it because the coffee we use is normally lower quality and it's dark roasted and I have a pop-up coffee shop 
and I serve Jezebel Ibri coffee on sand. And when people come, I always invite them to try it without sugar. Like I beg them sometimes, <laughs> like, please just enjoy the coffee. And if you don't like it, I will add the sugar. And then when I see the surprise on their face, most of them, they're commenting how sweet the cup is and they don't need to add any sugar. Interesting. So what is the goal of the Jezve Ibrik competition? The whole idea is like any other competition to celebrate the barista, to uh, celebrate the people behind this product. It's a connection between the farmer because you are telling the farmer story and the roaster, the barista, it's all in that small, like uh, 60 or 90 ml of uh, beverage. Wow. So I spoke to a guy called Turgai who is a Jezve Ibrik world champion. Oh my God, Turgai is my coach. Everyone will love to know his story. Oh yes. And Turgai told me the lengths he goes to put on a great performance. There are seven steps we need to follow to have a great Jezve Ibrik experience. My name is Turgay Yildizli. I'm the founder of a specialty Turkish coffee company based in United States and previous uh, Jezve Ibrik world champion 2013. I'm gonna talk about my coffee. Later. I was born in France, Paris, but when I was five years old, my family moved back to Turkey. So I grew up in Turkey, Istanbul. Good quality water brings out the potential of our coffee. Uh, 2011, it was my first competition. So I just want to try to compete because I thought I can learn more and I can connect with coffee scene in Turkey. So in the rules, you had to demonstrate your folkloric, you know, cultural things during your competition. For example, competitor from Greece, they played traditional Greek music during the competition. So in 2013, I searched the traditional Ottoman history books about coffee. I found a tailor who makes costume for theater. So I definitely brought a picture, a painting, to him, a coffee, traditional Ottoman coffee maker. Very big pants, old style shoes, a vest. Took some time, two, three months maybe. He didn't make the hat, but everything from scratch. I prepared this one for national championship. Oh, of course, I used for the world championship the same presentation and same costume. Turkai then told me more about the science of brewing a Jezve Ibrik coffee. So Jezve Ibrik Turkish coffee, this is a very primitive brew method. The technical term is decoction, which is a brew heating or boiling a substance in a solvent, which is extracting coffee bean into the water. So the biggest difference between the other brew method is filtration. This creates some disadvantages and advantages. So it's difficult to control the extraction because when you brew your coffee and then pour into the cup, the coffee grounds still in the cup and extraction is continuing. So the flavor, if you create a good tasting coffee, the flavor is changing in your cup. 
So maybe at the beginning it has less acidity or maybe you can get a little bitterness or body it's getting more smoother if you wait longer. It's getting more balance. And then he has an argument for why we should all be trying to compete at the Jesper Ibrit competition. You know, it's difficult to compete at barista competitions against well-funded competitors. It's not easy to compete at that level. But this uh, competition is a chance for competitors to experience world stage. National championships, it's not easy, but less competitors attend. So they have more chance at the national level and then they can go compete at the world stage. As a host competitor, it was a pleasure to serve you today. Time. Amazing. <laughs> Would love to meet one day. But you never met third guy? I never met him. <laughs> we only met at Skype. What? But how does he coach you if you only met him on Skype? What we did, we started sharing the same coffee. So I would send him the coffee and we would brew it together and would tell him my way of brewing and he will try it and then he will give me the feedback. And then, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is crazy to me. I mean, how do, you, how do you know you're making the same coffee? What if he has different water? What if he ground it slightly differently to you? It will be different, but it's not going to be like way different. If there's a big difference, then I know that there's something wrong. There we go. Calling all aspiring baristas. You don't need to be in a cafe side by side to a coach to learn how to make great coffee. <laughs> you just have a Skype conversation. So I live in Berlin. So my neighborhood is called Neukölln. And it is a historically Turkish neighborhood. Cool. And I can buy the Jezve coffee maker in my local supermarket. So what, what I'm going to do, I'm going to buy one and I'm going to try it out on my stove. But I have a question. Mm -hmm. How fine does the coffee have to be? The finest setting on your grinder. Okay, hold the phone. I'll be right back. <laughs> okay, here's my grinder. <laughs> so you're saying the finest setting on this grinder. So uh, as long as you can grind. like. <laughs> All right, I'm going to try grind this. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm going to stand up for this. <laughs> it's not going <laughs> to... Oh my you gosh. have to practice. This, this, is really, this is really intense. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's your morning workout. So how fine is this? Does it need to be really, really, really clumpy? It's, it has to be very, very soft and very, uh, it's very delicate, fluffy. Cool. Okay. I'm going to go out and buy my Jesuit Ibrick Brewer and I'll tell you how it goes. And before we wrap up, Tördegay mentioned how he thinks Jesuit Ibrick is a great competition to start with because... There aren't as many competitors for it compared to other competitions. So mathematically, your odds are better in terms of having that world championship experience. Uh, actually, I agree with the tour guy. Maybe it's not as big as the community in espresso or other brewing methods, but it is a strong community because we, most of us, we know each other. So imagine, you know, I'm a barista. How do I get involved with this? Like it, everything is in the website the Specialty Coffee Association website. You can uh, read more and more about the competitions and you can reach out also to people who competed before you. Cool. And what if my country doesn't have a Jesuit Ibrick competition? 
There are like regional chapters and uh, you can compete under these chapters. Like, for example, when I competed the first time, it was under the Middle East and North Africa. So uh, you will always find a way. And I believe it's getting uh, even more popular in many areas in Europe as well. Like I've seen people from Germany and Italy are competing. And now I have coffee friends from Ukraine and from Greece. That's great. And uh, it's really cool. Well, Sarah, it looks like we've come to the end. Okay, James, how about doing the credits? Let's do it. So for this episode, I'd like to thank Trish Rothgeb. Anna Oleksak. Sergei Blinikov. Sylvia Gutierrez. Yuan Jingyi. And Li Yi Mu. And Torgail Desley. But there are many other people too who we haven't got time to thank, but we've listed all their names on the SCA website. And now let's give a shout out to the sponsors. Yes, so the World Coffee Championship podcast series is supported by Victoria Arduino. Victoria Arduino advances coffee knowledge and innovates across design, technology and performance to produce machines that nurture coffee professionals' passion for espresso excellence. You can learn more at victoriaarduino.com or give them a follow at Victoria Arduino 1905. And today's episode on the Jesve Ibrick Championships and the World Roasting Championships is supported by Luimidis Papagalos. For over a century, Luimidis Papagalos has been evolving Ibrick coffee tradition in Greece. You can learn more by visiting nestlenoyazomai.gr slash Luimidis. And now we should thank you, James, for putting this all together. Thank you. Yeah, this podcast series was produced by me, James Halper of Filter Productions for the Specialty Coffee Association. Now tell me what's happening in the next episode. Yes. In the next episode, we are covering the Coffee and Good Spirits and Brewers Championships. We're going to be looking at stories of kitchens being set on fire, the genesis behind the Brewers Competition, and we're going to be asking, how accessible are these competitions in the first place? Wow, excited to hear it. I can't wait to share it with you. And Sada, thank you so much for helping me navigate this story. And I heard you have something exciting happening on the horizon. Yes, we are opening our cafe by the end of the year. And uh, it's that cafe in the capital city of Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. Sada, tell me, how good will the Jezve Ibrik coffee be if I make it to Riyadh? It's worth the trip for sure. <laughs> well, thanks again. And I'll see you next year. Okay, bye-bye, James. See ya. Bye.